0: Why don't you open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 4, and we're going to be reading verses 2 through 6. This is like, out of all the chapters of Isaiah, it's like, man, that's a tiny little chapter if you've been here. But it's it's packed with a lot of cool stuff, so hopefully I'm able to open that up for you with the Lord's help. But before we do that, let's pray and ask God to speak to each and every one of us. Lord God, once again, we thank you so much for what you've done so far this morning, leading us through worship and just reminding us of who you are, especially with that last song, Lord, as we sing just what a powerful name the name of Jesus is. There's there's so much in that besides just the name and it's your nature and your work of what you've done for each and every person who is your child. And so I pray this morning, Lord, that we would feel that and learn that as we open up your word. And for those in this room this morning who truly don't know what a powerful name, the name of Jesus is. I ask, Lord God, that you would open their eyes, their ears and their hearts so they might hear what your spirit has to say to them. And for those of us who already do, Lord God, I pray that you would encourage us through your word and remind us of how awesome and powerful you are. And so we pray this. In your name. Amen. All right. Isaiah chapter four, as I said, let's look at verses two through six. And the title of this morning's message is the restoration of God. As I was uh, reading through this and thinking about restoration, I couldn't help but thinking about, have you ever restored? I've never done this. Restored a car, a piece of furniture or, you know, a tile, a flooring Anything, so you know the restoration process is taking something that maybe doesn 't look so good or you 're wanting to make it look better. is everybody with me so far i'm going to show my ignorance in car restoration right now, so forgive me for those of you who 've restored cars you 're like this guy doesn 't know what he 's talking about and, uh, so i 'm admitting that up front. <laughs> but I think you know when you restore a car, the person that does it usually has a vision right of of, of what they want, a desire to see something that 's maybe like old, something's classic, and make it look new and shiny and brand new again, right? And so in order to do that, they have to pretty much gut the car, you know, take out all the interior, take out the engine. Uh, Depending what the paint looks like, you have to strip it down. So you can imagine that process on the car is pretty rough, especially stripping paint as I was thinking that, you know, you have to like probably, here's my ignorance now, you know, chisel the paint off somehow, like sand it off or buff it off, and the whole process does a lot of, you know, seems like it would, it would hurt the car if the car had feelings, Or if there were dents in the vehicle, you would probably have to, you know, somehow get those out. So you can see the process, right? It's a pretty labor-intensive process. But in the end, think of what it's going to look like. It's going to be really beautiful, especially in the, in the eyes of the person that took the time to do that. And God does that, as you can see the, the, the correlation with us with each and every one of his children it's a restoration process and some of us we're thinking well i'm at that part where he's sanding me down he's popping out the dents you know different parts of our life we go through different different parts of the restoration process but the the great thing is in the end think of how beautiful and how glorious you look in your father's eyes And so I want to keep that in mind as we go through this story because in verses 2 through 6, this is the conclusion of Isaiah's prophecy that started in chapter 2. And so if you've been with us for the past two months, you know you can kind of follow along. This is the end of this prophecy. And the end, always in God's plan, is perfect restoration. And so you'll see that for the nation of Israel that he's talking to and as you can already tell by application, it'll be for you and me as well. So let's read the text and then we'll come back and, and go through it and explain it. So it says, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and adornment of the survivors of Israel. It will come about when he who was left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called Holy and everyone who was recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the bloodshed of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create over the whole area of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day, even smoke, and the brightness of a flaming fire by night, For over all, the glory will be a canopy. There will be a shelter to give shade from the heat by day and refuge and protection from the storm and the rain. Very different. If you've been with us as we've been going through chapters two and three of this judgment and how God is going to strip away everything from the nation of Israel. Remember, he's going to strip away their land, their leaders, Their clothing, last week we talked about jewelry and and adornment of women, how God is just going to strip everything away. But here we see why he's doing that and how he's going to do that. And so let's talk about that. Go back to verse 2. And right from the very beginning, he says, in that day. Now, we have a tendency, and rightly so sometimes, that when we see that, especially in the Old Testament, in that day, we think of what? The second coming. When God comes back and writes all the wrongs and that's that is true. God is going to do that. But often we'll see in the prophets when he says in that day, he's talking about judgment and restoration on maybe a nation for what they've done. You remember in chapter two, and verse 12, you don't need to go there. I'm just going to tell you God was talking. Or Isaiah was saying that the day of reckoning was coming for Israel. And so this is what he's talking about here. That day of reckoning. That time when God is going to judge his people and then eventually, as we'll see, restore them. So I just want us to understand that the day of the Lord is sometimes just the visitation of God for judgment on a people. And again, if you read through the Old Testament prophets, there's a day of of judgment on Babylon, on Egypt, on Israel. And even in the end, as we know, the second coming on the entire world. But I just want to focus on the day of the Lord In relation to the nation of Israel, because in context, that's who we've been talking about. Again, if you go to the very beginning of chapter 2, he's talking to Judah and Jerusalem. And he's telling them what they're going to go through. But in the end, there's going to be restoration. And so this day of visitation, again, is a future event for the nation of Israel. At the time that Isaiah was writing this, this has not yet happened. He's telling them about what is going to happen. Okay? And so, again, in this instance, he's talking about Judah and Jerusalem. Look again at the text. He says, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. Well, who is the branch of the Lord? I contend in this this context, he's talking about the nation of Israel. There are times now in some of your Bibles, you may show that it's capitalized, meaning it's what a noun. It's somebody, something, person, place, or thing, right? The branch of the Lord... Often in Isaiah, Isaiah refers to vegetation as the nation of Israel. Now, let me give you a few examples of that so you follow along. So this day of the Lord on Judah of Jerusalem is going to make the branch beautiful. So look at chapter 5, just the very next chapter in verse 7. Again, this is just an example of how Isaiah used vegetation or plants and trees to describe his people. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7, he says the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is who? The house of Israel. So just an example. The vineyard is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his delightful plant. So just an example, God using branch or vineyard or plant to describe who? The nation Israel. Let me give you a couple more. We, there's, a, there's a ton of them, but we, we don't have time for all that. Turn to Isaiah chapter 60. And look at verse 21, Isaiah 60, verse 21. He says, then all your people will be righteous. They will possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the works of my hands, that I may be glorified. And God talked about his glorification through the nation of Israel, through his planting. And then chapter 61, the very next chapter, look at verse 3. To grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so they will be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So it's not uncharacteristic, again, of Isaiah using plants, vegetables, to describe a people. And in this instance, he's talking about the nation of Israel. Think forward a little bit in the New Testament. In John chapter 15, verse 5, think of the illustration Jesus uses, and I'm going to read that so that I quote it correctly. John 15, verse 5, he actually talks about the branches. And Jesus says this, I am the vine, and what does he say? You are the branches, his people. So by extension and application, we'll see in, in a few moments that Isaiah is talking about Israel, but in the future, the branches in general are God's people. So again, in in John chapter 5, I just want to continue reading that. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. The branches, again, are God's people. And then you could think of the big, long extension I'm not going to go through. In Romans chapter 11, where he's talking about the nation of Israel and the New Testament church being grafted together like a, with the branches, how he breaks off branches and, brings, and then restores them. So just an idea of what we're talking about for context because I think it's very important. So back to Isaiah chapter 4, look at verse 2 again. So in that day, the branch of the Lord. So what is God going to do in that day? He's going to make it. Look at what he says. In that day, the branch of the Lord. Will be beautiful and glorious. So, all the time we think of the day of the Lord, a day of judgment. There's that side of it where God will exact justice, but for those who are His, what happens? He restores them. The justice on their side, all the wrongs are finally righted or corrected. So, God's going to make His people glorious and beautiful think that's something just think of that for a while right now even us and I'm getting to the application part a little bit is that we go through and I think Rose and John when they prayed or talking about just the ugliness the trials and tribulations of life we have to go through but in the end we knows what we know what happens right everything's going to be glorious and beautiful and so that's what he's telling Israel here is Israel you know all these horrible things are going to happen because you guys have not been following the Lord You're going to go off into captivity for 70 years. But in the end, those who remain will be glorious and beautiful. Look at chapter uh, verse 3 now. He says, it will be about, it will come about that those who are left in Zion and remain in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone recorded recorded for life in Jerusalem. So when the Lord exacts justice, he's telling them, There's going to be a time that those who are left and remain, those few, the remnant that we keep referring to as we go through the the, uh, study of Isaiah, those people are going to be glorious and beautiful. The branch, God's people, those who are truly his, they won't suffer judgment. They won't be separated from God, but they will be glorious and Beautiful. And not only that, that day of the Lord will also, he, it tells us in verse 2, that the fruit of the earth will be the pride and adornment of its survivors. The remnant, those who God keeps and protects and blesses, he's going to bless them. Every time, a lot of times in the Old Testament, I shouldn't say every time, part of God's blessing is that the land will be fruitful. That's just how God is. He's like, my people are going to be beautiful, and the land, because they are beautiful, It's going to be fruitful. He's going to bless their works. So again, when the Lord exacts justice on that day, he's telling Judah and Jerusalem that those who aren't his, those who have come against them, they will be dealt with. But those that are his, those who remain, they will be glorious and beautiful. And I like what it says in verse three. They will be called what? Holy. Think of that. God calls his people glorious, beautiful and beautiful and holy I think it was Pastor John that said you know some of us don't feel it right now how many of you feel like I'm I'm holy no one's gonna raise it okay she did Irene right on (laughs) just kidding most of us are like you know what even in my best day I know who I am I'm really not that holy but we might look at other people as as being holy but it really doesn't matter what we think it's what God thinks Again, going to the restoration process, as, God, as, as somebody is restoring, you know, whatever they're working on, they're looking, they know what that is going to be. It's going to be glorious and beautiful. And as God looks at his people, he already sees us as glorious and beautiful, even though we don't feel like it, even though we're going through the whole restoration process. And even though some of us, right, if we admit we've been running from God for quite some time, he still sees you if you're his child as glorious and beautiful in his sight i love that part of this of this chapter here so it will come about when he who is left in zion so after god has exacted judgment on the nation of israel those who are left that remnant will be called holy everyone verse 3 everyone who is recorded for life in jerusalem so right there just there's a reference there to the book of life. You guys have probably remember in the book of Revelation where there's this book of life that is opened up. And the names and then people's names are in there. Well, it's interesting to note if you do a study on that throughout the, the Bible, there are many references to this book. And I just want to give you a couple of them. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32, this is one of the first, this may be the first mention of it. I could be wrong, but it's one of the early ones. Exodus 32, verses 32 and 33, as God is talking to Moses in this conversation, Moses says to God, but now if you will forgive their sin, so he's standing before God, defending the people of Israel. He says, but if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please Blot me out from the book which you have written. The Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. So there's just one example of a recording of a record somehow. Obviously, God doesn't need a book. So is it literal or not? Does not I don't know. But Moses mentions it that there's this book. We'll just use that for now because that's what it says that God has. That he keeps the name of those who are his, those who are holy. And Moses is saying to God, hey, like for my people's sake, blot me out so that they may be in the book. And turn with me again to Psalm, the book of Psalms, Psalm 69. Here's another example of that being said, verses 27 through 28. Psalm 69. In twenty seven through twenty eight, it says, add iniquity to their iniquity and may they not come into your into your righteousness. May they be blotted out of the book of life and may they not be recorded with the righteous. So there's a distinction of the unrighteous and the righteous. The unrighteous are not in the book of life and the righteous are. And so the psalmist is saying, don't put the unrighteous in the book with the righteous. Let there be a distinction And even Jesus himself makes mention of this in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 20. Turn there with me. Luke 10, verse 20. Jesus says this. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Again, an allusion to some kind of record that God has of who's in the book of life. And who is not. And one last one. I really like this one. In the book of Philippians. Chapter 4 verse 3. Philippians 4 verse 3 says this. Indeed true companion. This is the Apostle Paul. I ask also. To help these women. Who have shared my struggle. In the cause of the gospel. Together with Clement also. And the rest of my fellow workers. Whose names are in. The book of life. So, again, all that to say is that there is a recording in heaven that God has of who is in this book of life. And here in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 3, God is saying, Those who are glorious, those who are beautiful, those who are holy are in this book. And so the question becomes well, how will they be made glorious? How will they be made beautiful? And how will they be made holy? Well, look at verse four of Isaiah chapter four, and this is the answer. It says, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the bloodshed of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. So that's the key in the restoration process in God's economy. The holiness doesn't come because you did something right. We didn't. We didn't sing the loudest. We didn't raise our hands the highest. We didn't go to church X amount of times. We didn't read scripture X amount of minutes a day. We didn't pray so many minutes a day. It is nothing, and this needs, you need to understand, it is nothing that you've done except believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is all God's working in the believer's life. Again, look at verse four. When the Lord, what does the Lord do? Washes away the filth. And purges the bloodshed. So remember the nation of Israel. Has been pretty bad. If you've been here for over the. Through our study in Isaiah. We see week after week. All the things that Israel has done wrong. And so they're being. Taken away in judgment to Babylon. If you know the story. But after that time of Babylon. After that purging. After that. Washing away of filth. Those who remain. Will be those who have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, or who have been washed in this instant by God's forgiveness of them by spending time in Babylon, paying for their sins in one sense. But it is God who does the work. and I don't want us to miss out on that. So the Lord washes away their filth. The Lord purges bloodshed uh, from them. All that they have done, God has done it. And so now they are holy and glorious. Again, going back to that picture of restoration, think of all the... The nastiness that is done in restoration, whether it's chiseling away, sanding, buffing it out to make it look glorious. In essence, that's what God does with his people. He sends them through the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning to take away their sins, to wash them clean. And once God does that, look at what he promises the nation of Israel in verses 5 through 6. So once God has done the spirit of judgment, And again, if you know the story, once Israel is done uh, in captivity in Babylon for 70 years, what does he do? He brings them back to the land, and that's what Isaiah talks about here. Look at verse 5. Then, so after this judgment, then the Lord will create the whole area of Mount Zion, and over her assemblies a cloud by day, even smoke, and the brightness a flaming fire by night, for over all the glory will be a canopy There will be a shelter to give shade from the heat by day and refuge and protection from the storm and the rain. So this is an illustration of what God is going to do for his glorious, beautiful, holy people. He is once again going to lead them. Look at the illustration again. The cloud by day. Do you guys remember this in the book of Exodus? The nation of Israel, when they came out of captivity, out of Egypt, what led them? The cloud by day and the fire by night. And so Isaiah is alluding to this again that says, Israel, when you come out of captivity a second time, God again is going to lead you a cloud by day and a fire by night. But not literally. He's just telling him, using it as an illustration that God is going to lead you. God is going to guide you again. You're no longer going to be forsaken in Babylon, but God is going to lead you out and he's going to be your God once again. That is a beautiful picture. And he's going to be in their midst. If you remember... The cloud by day would sit over the tabernacle, and that meant God was there. And all of Israel would come, and they would worship, because God was in their midst. And here again, Isaiah is telling them that, hey, once God takes you through this this um, purging and this washing away of sins, He's making you holy and beautiful again. He is going to once again be in your midst. And not only that, the last verse, verse six, tells us. That he will once again be their refuge and protection. Because guess, remember the story. He's taken away his protection and his refuge. And he's allowed them to be taken away into Babylon. This is what he's prophesying here. And he's telling them that there's going to be time in the future when they're brought back into their land. God's going to be their God again. And he's going to protect them. He's going to give them shade and shelter. He's going to be their refuge. And why? Because they're so great No. Because they trusted in the Lord, just that few remnant of the nation of Israel are going to come back into the land. And so that's how Isaiah's prophecy ends here in chapter four. So what does that mean for us today? I've already alluded to it a few times. But what does God's restoration look like today? And I'm going to do this in two parts. There's the, what we're going through right now. And then in the future. So let's start with today. God today will still make people beautiful and glorious in his sight. And how does he do that? He does that when you become his child. So every day that somebody becomes a child of God, God is making them glorious and beautiful, just like he did with ancient Israel. And you might be thinking, well, where does, well, God? I didn't suffer God's wrath to go through this fire and become beautiful. Who is the one who suffered the wrath of God to make us beautiful? It was the Lord Jesus Christ. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross as he bore the sins of the world. He took your place and my place and bore it himself so that We might have relationship again with God. We may be restored to God. And now when the Lord looks at us, he looks at us as glorious and beautiful. Let that sink in for a minute. Again, as I started earlier, we don't look at ourselves like that, right? We know the thoughts that we have. We know the things that we've done and how shameful they are when we stand before God. But God sees us through his son, Jesus Christ. Let me give you a few verses. Uh, Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is one of my favorite, favorite verse sections. In verse 21 specifically, this is talking about what I just said. He says, he made him, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we, may, we might become the righteousness of God in him. So because what Jesus did, he took on our ugliness and put his beautifulness, so to speak, on us, and his, his righteousness, to be specific, according to that verse. He took on our unrighteousness, and he put his righteousness on us. And now that's how God sees us. And there's nothing, if you're a true believer in Christ, that you can do to change that. That should be awesome to think of. So the Lord's wrath was poured out on his son. But does that mean, hey, that's great. I don't, you said I don't need to read a lot or pray a lot or go to church a lot or raise my hands. And, and again, no, you don't need to do that to become a believer. But believers do that. Believers pray. Believers go to church. Believers worship the Lord. Look at uh, earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, verse 15. This exactly, but this verse is one of like top five verses for me personally. Because all of what God has done, he's given his life for us. The thing that we do is we give our lives back to him. Look at verse 15. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So God gave his life for you, if you're a believer, and your response, not to be a believer, but out of thankfulness and love for God, is to give your life back to him. And you say, I'm going to live my life for you, God. And so that plays out in the praying and the worshiping and the reading and going to church. If you look at your life and, how, and your relationship with God, If none of those things exist in your life where you have no desire to go to church, no desire to worship God, no desire to study God's word and pray. Then you have to ask yourself, where are you in that process of believing what God has done for you? How thankful are you if you let all the other things in your life supersede living for him then you need to question your salvation? You need to question, do I really understand what God has done for me? Do I really love the Lord? Again, and that's going to change, and and we go through that constantly. And only you can answer that for yourself. I cannot answer that for you. Only you can. Look at verse 15 again. I I want you to read to see that as we read it again. And he died for all so that those who live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So the question, do I live for myself or do I live for God? Because that's what the, that's what Paul is saying right here. So your response is, should be that I want to live for God. And as you grow in your love for God, all those other things will grow in your life as well. So God's restoration today is that he will make you beautiful and glorious in his sight. And then what happens after that? Just like with ancient Israel, he will provide for you. He will guide you. He will be with you. And he will Protect you. John uh, had mentioned earlier about, you know, the fires and stuff and how God protected their homes. Now, if God burnt that down, does that mean that, hey, that that promise isn't true? God doesn't really protect us. No, because we know that we live in a fallen world and sometimes God allows those things to happen. But it doesn't mean he's forsaken us. And as we've learned in previous and previous studies, God's ultimate goal is to protect you and preserve you for his eternal kingdom. All this other stuff in our life will pass away. You know, I remember we packed one day because we were like, well, if we leave, I just wanted to go out for dinner. And uh, Mindy, uh, being the smarter one of us, too, was like, well, they may not let us back, so let's pack just in case. And when you pack, it's like you just pack what is necessary, right? I wanted to pack my library of books. <laughs> but we didn't have enough boxes. So I had to make a decision. I was like, what commentaries are coming with me? I just took what was with in the book of Isaiah. But there were a lot that I was, I, I think I might have shed a tear thinking I'm leaving some good books behind. But it was kind of eerie leaving the house going, is this the last time? But even if, that happened. God would provide for us. God will protect us. We can't hold too tightly to these th- the things in this world because they're all going to pass. I mean, reality, that book is just a book. I can buy another one, you know, but the main thing is protecting your family and taking what's important. So God will provide for you. God will guide you. God will be with you and God will protect you. And those promises are only for those people who are his, who've been washed, who've been purged, who've been cleansed. Those promises don't apply to those people who do not believe in the Lord. Now, God, could, God provides for them in ways, too. He could protect them in ways. But ultimately, you're God's people if you love the Lord, if you've been washed, if you've been made beautiful and glorious. So that's the present-day application for us today. And so each and every one of us has to look at ourselves and ask, have we gone through that judgment, so to speak, by putting our faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ? Now you can see why his name is so beautiful because of his work, what he has done for you. What about in the future? Is there a future judgment? Is there a future restoration of all things? And obviously the answer is yes. And I alluded to that in the very beginning. And we'll close with this god's restoration in the future he will give you not only will you be glorious and beautiful but he is going to give you a new glorious body who could say amen to that amen <laughs> i don't know what that's going to look like but he promises to do that turn with me to first uh, corinthians chapter 50 57 or yeah, 15 verses 50 through 57 And This is where the Apostle Paul is talking about the resurrection, second coming. He says now this. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised Imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on the immortality. But when the perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will be put on and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death where is your victory? O death where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God who has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the future restoration, is that each and every one of us who is his will one day at the second coming, I don't know how it all works, but in the twinkling of our eye we will be transformed. We will have brand new imperishable bodies. I can't wait for that day you're like yeah you need a new body pastor (laughs) I know I do that's just that's restoration that's something each and every one of us who are his have to look forward to not only that in the future he is going to will be totally provided for we will constantly be guided he will be with us and he will protect us always Let's close with this last verse in Revelation, chapter 22. Look at verses 1 through 7. I think that's it. Actually, it's chapter 21. I'm sorry about that. No, I think it's 22. Sorry. (laughs) As I read it, I'm like, see, when I'm in heaven, I just remember it like that. Chapter 22 says, Then he showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. And in the middle of the street on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves and the trees were for the healing of the nations. You can just see God's provision, God's uh, guidance for his people. Look at verse, um, verse 3. There will no longer be any curse. The curse that's befallen all of us now. And the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his bond servants will serve him. So that's God's, you know, the cloud by day and the fire. God's going to be in our midst right now. We know God is with us. But one day we're going to actually see the Lord in our midst. That future restoration process. And then uh, verse four, they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads and there will no longer be any night and they will not have any need for the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord their God will illuminate them and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the the things which soon must take place. And we'll conclude in verse 7. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed be, the one, blessed be he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. That's the future restoration of God. Brand new bodies. Um, constant provision. God, And the most important thing is that God is going to be with us forever. We no longer have to you know, go by, you know, faith. We're going to, you know, faith like, oh, I, I think he's there. Not more like, I know he's here. I see him. I could see him face to face. Imagine that day when you see Jesus face to face. It is no longer a beautiful name. It's, that's a beautiful Lord right there that I get to stand. Why? Because of what he has done. So I would encourage you this morning, if you have not put your faith and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would do that. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you how it encourages us and gives us a true hope. I pray, Father God, this morning for each and every one of us who has put our faith in you, that the word spoken today would encourage us to continue on, to hold on to you, to walk humbly before you and continually live our lives for you. Because we see what you have done for us. And I also pray, Lord God, this morning for those who do not yet know you, that they would see all that you have done for them, how you love them, how you've suffered for the sins of this world. Through your son's death on the cross. And how, Lord God, you desire to restore all people. If they would just believe in what you have done for them through your son. So I pray that this morning, Lord, that if there's anybody in this room this morning who has not given their life to you, that they would do so. That they would be part of that restoration, and they would feel that restoration now and look forward to it in the future. And again, Lord, I want to pray for those of us who have trusted in you. Some of us at this moment may not feel that you're protecting us, that you're providing for us. We may not even feel like you're guiding us, that we are out on our own. I pray, Lord, that they would cling to your promises and not to their feelings. Because your promises are true, just as in the book of Revelation says, write these things down, for they are faithful and true. So help us to hold on to your promises, even when we don't see them or feel them. And we pray this and ask for your help in this, in your name, amen.